When one life is taken, countless others are ruined. The families left behind, heartbroken, full of regrets, what could have been, what should have been, sometimes desperate for answers, sometimes desperate to forget. In this documentary, I'm going to meet the families of people who've been murdered on the streets of the Northeast. How do they cope with their life after death? In Cramlington in 2016, 19-year-old Owen Kerry was enjoying a Christmas Eve night out in a pub with his friend. His killer stabbed him so quickly, nobody even saw it happen. And despite being rushed to hospital, Owen passed away in the early hours of Christmas Day. I've been spending some time with his granny, Valerie Robinson. Now there's like a massive gap. We haven't got a normal anymore because it's like a massive hole. It's like just being ripped out of you. And it's, it's really, really hard because he had his whole life in front of him. We've just had like the third year anniversary of it now. What do you remember from it? Is it a blur? Is it still in your memory? It's a, something I'll never ever forget. I got a phone call off a lass who used to be my neighbour and she goes, Val, I'm trying to get a hold of your Keith and Rachel. I went, what's the matter? Something's happened to Owen, but she never said what it was. And I went, leave it with me, I'll, I'll ring him. I rang Owen's phone and I was just cut off. And I had no idea what was going on. I had seen all of this stuff getting pinged on Facebook. My phone was just going crazy and I'm thinking, what's going on? I didn't know and it's like, you have that horrible sick feeling in the pit of your stomach and I felt physically sick. And then I got a phone call after 12 o'clock saying he had died from his injuries. And you're thinking, well, why would somebody stab somebody? Why would you take a knife out with you? Why? Because if you're going to take a knife out with you, you're going to use it. And you're just ruining somebody's life. It hasn't just affected me, myself. It's affected me whole family. And I would hate for somebody else to go through what we go through because leading up to Christmas, for me, I hate it because all always came here Christmas Day. And honestly, it's like, I don't want to put a tree up. I don't want to do anything. I just want to be left alone in my own house. You're just like sitting there and like when it comes to that time of that night on the early hours of Christmas morning, it's like, this is the time I got that phone call of my son, saying that his son had died. But the, the hospital, the doctors and everything, tried everything to save him, but it was where we were stopped, they couldn't. And I just begged people not to go and take a knife, because you're going to use it. Owen's killers were jailed for a total of 44 years. As some families have justice, others are still seeking it. In Sunderland in 1992, seven-year-old Nikki Allen was murdered. Her body was found one day after she went missing. She was stabbed 37 times. Nobody's been convicted of her murder. Recently, I visited her mum, Sharon Henderson. I've been suicide, love, been in hospital, I've been in mental hospitals, turned to alcohol for years. I have nightmares of uh, when being told that Nikki was stabbed 37 times. Um, I've, I've asked uh, police, when it finally goes to court, I don't want to see any pictures in the court because I have nightmares about knives. How much of a toll 
has the past 27 years been on Nikki's sisters, knowing that what happened to Nikki's obviously massively affecting them, but then seeing what their mums had to go through as well? The way they've been brought up by me has is, is been like horrendous, the drunken, and uh, when they've been going to school, saying, oh, your mum's in a nut house and stuff like that. When things is getting too much for us, because I haven't had the help and support, I've ended up having like breakdowns. My children have never been offered any help and support from police or any other agencies. The only people they've had to co-op with is me, and they've had a horrendous life just seeing the mum on a prescription medication and they're sitting drinking day and night. We're at this point now where hopefully there's going to be a break in the case and it's going to turn into amazing news. When that does happen, what do you expect to feel when you get the good news, so to speak? The past few weeks, and well, nearly a year since the rest of the suspect, I've stopped, I've stopped drinking. I feel as though I'm not going out there investigating Nicky's case anymore. It's in the hands of the top people now, so I know the new team that came on Nicky's case, I've done the jobs properly this time. I have to leave the rest of my life for them few minutes. I let Nicky out of my side. That's my punishment, you know what I mean? But the police have to take some uh, thing where you've not investigating this properly from the beginning. And I know the, the priestess all the day for a lot of work, and if it wasn't for me, and really, I didn't want praise. All I want, and I could just keep saying them, all I want is justice for me, Ben. Well, in 2018, Northumbria police confirmed that they'd arrested a man in connection with Nikki's murder. Sharon says she's patiently waiting for updates on that. Sometimes, though, the justice system doesn't work the way families want or think it should. Simon and Tanya Brown's 18-year-old son, Connor, was stabbed to death in 2019. His killer was jailed for life. His accomplice, who stamped on Connor whilst he was being attacked, got three and a half years. I've been meeting with Connor's parents in Sunderland. They tell me sentencing has to change. He's shown no remorse. Anything they can add on to that to keep him off the streets would give him more time to think about what he's done. Personally, I don't think he'll change. What do you think should be done to him, like, sentence-wise, to give you a little bit of justice? They really need to make an example of people. If they, if they want it to stop, then it's the justice that has to stop it. They have to give the just the, the sentences, otherwise it won't stop. Is it a sentence situation? Do you think that needs to be brought in? There needs to be a higher threshold and then people will sit up and think twice about carrying? Definitely, definitely. Our judicial system needs looking at. The sentences need to be fitting for the crime they've done. Life should mean life. You take a life you should lose your own. I don't mean, as in the death penalty, I don't think you should be allowed to walk the streets again. And do you know what? I think he's that blase. He would walk the streets of Sunderland again. He's not remorseful. He's not bothered. He just doesn't care what he's done. And to me, that's just proven as of how much of a low-life person he really is. I don't even want to think about him getting out at this point, actually. I think it... Uh, I think it's just too painful to even think about. I don't want to dwell on it too much because obviously it's a horrible thing to talk about. But on that day, on that night, what was it like? How did you find out? What were you hearing? How did you, you learn of Connor's death? Our next door neighbour phoned um, and it was just by chance. The phones was on silent, but it just, it just lit up and I answered it. 
and it was in that mad panic that she told us what had happened, which she did play it down a little bit on the phone, I think. We rushed into town and we got there, but we weren't allowed anywhere near, and then we were blue-lighted to the hospital in the back of a police car behind Connor's ambulance. But it felt like so long before we could... We waited for news. Um, but then when we got that news, everything mm. else just turned to a blur. One blur. It's, it's, it's one of them moments, if you see it on a television series or you, you hear it in the news, and you think, oh, I couldn't imagine what that was like. But when it's in real life, it's numbing. Um, that full week, we were numb. It just, nothing, nothing, no pain or anything like that in our bodies, what we normally uh, suffer. It was just, everything was numb. Um, just trying to take on board and trying to think, what do we do? How do we move forward? And that was very, very, very difficult. Um, but to feel we're nearly 12 months from that point is... It just you just can't get your head around it. There's many times when I have to, I stop and I remember. It's like it's like a flashback, and that pain of that then more that moment, and then first few days, just hit you, in the just all over again, and that can happen daily. In fact, it does happen daily. Well, let's hope that justice is served. It's not something you can celebrate though, because obviously. Your son's not walking through the door. No, and them words will always ring in our ears. The last night he left home, he ran down the stairs saying, I won't be home tonight, I'll see you in the morning, love yous. And that's the, the last words we remember and we'll never forget. Legacy is often what comes to mind in the months and years after a person dies. Some families fight to keep their loved one's name alive to make sure they didn't die in vain. 18-year-old Samantha Magin was on a rare night out in Newcastle in 2007. She'd given birth a few weeks earlier, but she'd never get to see her son Callum grow up. Her mum Alison and sister Carly have been telling me why it's been so important to keep telling their story. When we lost Samantha, it was we just wanted to escape the world and people feeling the way we feel, living the life that we live. Um, thought we'll have, we'll have to get in there. Does talking about Sam, the other families that I've spoke to have said that talking about the, their loved one kind of helps? It's been sort of like a therapy session because I've never been one to really talk about it as much as I have, really. I think it is keeping Samantha's memory alive, which is what I always set out to do, and that's what I will continue to do. It made me feel, and Carly, I would say that, Samantha has still made a difference and Samantha still goes on and that's what we aim to do. Despite having the highest crime rates in the UK, homicide numbers in the North East are actually the second lowest. Almost 200 people have lost their lives in the last five years through violent crime here. But the thing is, they're not numbers, they're not stats on paper, it's a person who's lost their life. A human being, somebody who was a daughter or a son, a mom or a dad, a brother or a sister, just a friend or a colleague. This is dedicated to all of the people that we've lost across the northeast through murder and violent crime, and to all of their friends and family who face life after death. <laughs>